We wanted to let you know at the outset, today's program is a rebroadcast of one of our best episodes. Whether you're hearing today's program for the first time or you're a faithful listener, we're sure you'll enjoy hearing the great truths in this episode once more. Today, thinking differently about Leviticus. This is the Friends of Israel Today, where we teach biblical truth for changing times. I'm Steve Conover. We'll join our host and Bible teacher, Chris Katolka, in a moment. Leviticus. It's a book many of us find daunting to read, and it's a book many of us avoid. Or if we do read it, and we're honest with ourselves, we find it very confusing. But this week and next, Chris challenges us to think differently about Leviticus. In our short segment, we'll look at specific ways Israel is bringing peace through business. And later, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and testimony of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. Stay with us. I'm going to be a biased father right now, and I'm going to say this. I have the cutest little four-year-old daughter, and her name is Olive. And one of my great joys in life is to read to Olive before she goes to bed. One of our favorite books to read is the Jesus Storybook Bible. The Bible stories in the Jesus Storybook Bible are great for little ones to go through because they've been retooled for children to understand the gospel in each Bible story. In almost every story, it talks about God's love for us and that he's been fighting for us since the fall. He's been fighting to have a relationship with us. And the writer calls it God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Olive loves this book because of the stories and because of the pictures. The Jesus Storybook Bible really has some amazing drawings and wonderful illustrations to bring the Bible to life. Well, there was one night, though, that uh, we just couldn't find the Jesus Storybook Bible. So I thought I would break out the Bible itself and just read a story from the book of John. So I started reading, and my daughter was very patient with me. She, She just let me read the whole chapter to her. And I turned to her when I was done, and I asked, what did you think of that? What did you think of this story? And she stared at me and she said, where are the pictures? And I told her, there are none. And I asked, did you understand the story about Jesus? And she stared at me a little bit more and she said, kinda. And I had a chuckle because she really loves the Bible stories. But as a four-year-old, there was nothing for her to grab onto. There was nothing that she could really relate to in hearing a story that uses words and phrases she doesn't fully comprehend. There was a lot that separated Olive's understanding and what God was communicating in the scriptures. And don't forget, according to Olive, there were no pictures. And, you know, I think the same could be said of us. When we read through a biblical book like Leviticus, now hear me out, I'm not saying that you have a mind of a four-year-old, but what I am saying is that even as an adult, there is more than three millennia of cultural differences. There's more than 3,000 years of different worship styles, 
different ways that we connect with God, different holidays and festivals. You know, we stand worlds away from the message that God was communicating. However, if we stop and bring understanding to the general message of Leviticus, we can better grasp the bits and pieces that don't make sense to us today. Because let's be honest, Leviticus is not the first book that we often turn to when we do a devotion. At least it isn't for me. And yet Leviticus, think about this, folks. Leviticus is a foundational book when it comes to certain theological truths concerning holiness or the sacrificial death of Jesus and the high priesthood of Jesus. So for the next two weeks, I I want us to take some time to think differently about Leviticus to help bring to life this book in the Bible that is really often neglected. So the first thing is this. I don't want you to be deceived by the name Leviticus. The name Leviticus is a Latin word that comes from a Greek word that means related to the Levites, which were essentially the priests of Israel. However, think about this. In the book of Leviticus, the Lord is not only speaking to the priests and the Levites, the people who ministered to the Israelites, but more importantly, and this is where it connects with us, the Lord was speaking to everyday average Israelites. This book, the book of Leviticus, is a book of worship for the ancient Israelite community. Leviticus gave instructions on when an Israelite should go to the sanctuary, what he should bring to the sanctuary, and what he could expect the priests will be doing when they arrive at the sanctuary. It shared about special holidays for the Israelites, like Passover and Yom Kippur, and gave instructions on how they should worship on those days. So really, When you read the book of Leviticus, it's good to remember this one thing as we think differently about Leviticus. It's good to remember that this book was written for the average, everyday Israelite who wanted to know how he could worship God. Shouldn't that be what drives us? Shouldn't we always be asking, in what way, God, can I worship you today? What action can I do today to bring honor to your name? In what way can I be a living sacrifice to show others how thankful I am that you are my God? So even though the book seems difficult to understand, at the heart of it is the story of God telling his people how they can worship him. And folks, that transcends time and that transcends culture. So now let's go back. We have to go back in order for us to understand the book of Leviticus fully and to think differently about it. We first need to go back to the book of Exodus before we can continue to go forward because we can't fully understand Leviticus unless we realize why God would give a worship manual to begin with. In Exodus 25, God explains to Moses that he wants the Israelites to build him a tabernacle. And in Exodus 25, 8, God explains why he wants a tabernacle to begin with. And he says this, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, let's look at this passage because it is a very powerful piece of scripture here. In fact, one of the most important, I think, 
in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible here. God is telling Moses he wants his people to build him a tabernacle, which is a movable sanctuary so that he could dwell with them, so that he could be, think about this, physically present with his people. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I get it. That sounds about right. I've heard that before. But I'll tell you, I thought the same thing the first time I read this until I read this commentary that explained that this verse is incredibly powerful and significant to the story of God's redemption. It showed me that God, prior to the tabernacle, you know, when he dwelt with the Israelites, the last time God dwelled with his people like that was in the garden. That when God said he wanted to build a tabernacle or have a tabernacle built, it meant he is fighting to establish a system where a very holy God can dwell with a very sinful people. When God said he wanted a tabernacle built, God was breaking through sin and time and space, fighting to be here on earth with his people. And that was the purpose of the tabernacle. The book of Leviticus tells the story of how a sinful people can interact with a holy and righteous God. Now, that is awesome. And notice, if you read through the entire book of Leviticus, what you'll find is that God is mostly the direct speaker. It's his voice speaking to the people of Israel, explaining to them how they can maintain a relationship, a deep and abiding relationship with him. And there is no other book like that in the entirety of the Bible that gives us such great unhindered communication straight from the voice of God himself. Why? Because having a relationship with God is the most important issue at hand. God's love for his people, to borrow the words from the Jesus Storybook Bible, is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And the book of Leviticus is a part of that story that God would provide a way for his people to enjoy his presence. Today, the book of Leviticus stands as a foundational worship book for knowing why God would send his perfect, sinless son as a sacrifice for sinners. Because the story of God's redemptive plan is the story of him fighting to be with us. So folks, be sure next week to join us as we dive into Leviticus again to see a little bit more of what God is telling us through this ancient Israelite book of worship and how we can think differently about it together. It always struck me that even after mankind sinned and disobeyed God, the Lord has been fighting tirelessly to be with us again, 
to have a relationship with us. And one of the ways the Lord fought to be with his people was through the tabernacle. The Friends of Israel has a book called The Tabernacle, Shadows of the Messiah, to help you understand more fully about the significance of the tabernacle in the plan of God. I have author David Levy with me in studio. David, can you tell us why you felt the need to write on the tabernacle? Yes, Chris, I've uh, read many books on the tabernacle, and I've found them to be wanting in the sense that the typology didn't seem to be scriptural, or they were uh, just uh, too simple and didn't really get into detail the tabernacle. I wrote this book because most books don't deal with the priesthood, the sacrificial system, and I wanted to put a trilogy together. This book is written simply, systematically, and scriptural. More people buy this book because of that. Folks, you will not be disappointed. The Tabernacle, Shadows of the Messiah. Order your copy today at foiradio.org. Not too long ago, I was watching an APAC video from the 2014 conference. And for those of you that aren't familiar with APAC, APAC is the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. And during the APAC conference, they hold these sessions that focus on specific issues like politics, uh, Israeli security, and business. The one video I was watching was an interview with Ofra Strauss of the very famous Israeli company, the Strauss Group. She's the chairwoman of the management board of the Strauss Group. Now, even though the Strauss Group is Israeli, you may have very well eaten some of their products right here in the States. The Strauss Group partnered with PepsiCo to bring hummus to America, and they did it through a brand that you probably see in your grocery store called Sabris. And I won't lie, it is good hummus. She was asked during her interview about the future of Israeli business with Israel's neighbors, namely countries like Jordan and Syria and Lebanon, that don't typically do business with Israel. And what she said really impacted my thinking about the potential of the Middle East as a whole. So let's take a listen to what she said here. Thank you. And that kind of brings me to the next question. So much of, the, of our region is, is embroiled in unrest and political instability. So how would you characterize the future for Israeli business opportunities with our neighbors? Well, you know, when my father retired at the year 2000, um, he retired when he um, actually built uh, a very large dairy in the north part of Israel. And on stage, when he actually, I was, uh, it was a succession process, and he handed me over the business. He said, I built this factory in the north part of Israel, so one day we'll be able actually to move products to Jordan, to Lebanon, and just that's the reason why we chose this location. So we still believe in it. It can still happen. And once it will happen with all of our neighbors, that's really the future of Israel. We are ready for it, the business community. We can go for it. We can actually one day, and excuse me all of you, we, the Middle East, can compete with the rest of the world if we'll just have the opportunity to work together. Now, did you hear what she said? Israel is already a booming market in technology and business. 
And the Strauss Group is just one of many businesses that have a global reach in impacting the world for good. And yet Ofra said Israel's future is a bright one when the day comes that the Middle East can work together. In fact, she argues it will be a force to be reckoned with on the global market when that time comes, when there will be peace. And her words are profound. She says Israel is ready. Look, her father built a Strauss plant in the very far north of Israel in anticipation of peace in the Middle East. What a testimony. What Ofra said is a sign that the Israeli people want peace in the Middle East and that they're ready for it. Last year, I wrote a piece on the FOI blog titled Peace from the Ground Up. And if you want to read it, uh, we'll have it linked in our show notes on our website, foiradio.org. And in the blog that I wrote, I argue that as international politicians and diplomats work hard to really push a two-state solution down the throats of Israelis and Palestinians and really the whole Arab world to build peace, Israeli citizens have decided to take the matter into their own hands by creating peace from the ground up. Instead of accepting peace from the politicians from the top down, they're really working hard to build peace on a grassroots effort. And recently, several Israeli companies like Cisco Israel and uh, SodaStream, before they left the West Bank due to international pressure, invested in Palestinian workers, training them in technologies and new technologies and providing transportation, providing breakfast and lunch, while also paying them 10 times more than the average income of a Palestinian. And these actions are a sign of a desired peace. Look, my friends, Israel is ready for peace. And they believe if the Middle East would stop fighting them and invest that energy into business and relationships, they could be a real force for good in the world. And at the center of it would be Israel. So, folks, if you have a question about Israel, the Bible, or prophecy, visit our website, foiradio.org, and there you can type in your question right on our homepage. That's foiradio.org. Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Svi is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Svi. I live in an apartment building in Jerusalem. We have a house committee to represent the residents, and for 10 years I was a member of that committee. 
Over the years, I've made many good friends. Often I was invited to their flats, or I invited them to mine. We have had many good conversations about a variety of subjects, including my faith. When my last term on the committee was completed, a new resident took my place. He began asking questions about all the residents, what kind of work they do, how they live. Everyone thought he was like a private detective, and then we learned he is a member of an ultra-Orthodox religious group and was reporting to them about us. One day he came to my home to collect the maintenance fee. He began to ask many questions. How well do you live? Do you go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? How do you serve God? I said, I will answer you. But first answer a question for me. How many gods must we serve? Only one, he replied. I continued. Which god do you worship? He answered, That is a stupid question. As I said before, there is only one god, the god of the Jewish people, the god I worship. All others in the world worship idols. I ask, Does each nation have its own god, as each nation has its own political leader? Regardless of what I said, he replied, That is not the truth. I ask, which do you read better, Yiddish or Hebrew? Hebrew, he replied. Good, I said, because I have a Hebrew Bible here. You can read it for yourself. He was very interested in my Bible, and after examining it, he asked, How can you read such an unclean, non-kosher book? This contains the New Testament. I replied, My friend, the New Testament is as much a part of the Bible as the Old Testament. He was very upset and asked, Who told you the New Testament is part of the Bible? I answered, Our own Jewish prophets wrote about Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ. He looked like his blood began to boil, and he yelled, That is not true. Oh, yes, it is true, I told him. I asked, Is the God spoken of by Isaiah? Only for the Jewish people, as you said before? I then read Isaiah 34.1. Come near, you nations, to hear and heed, you people, I said. This passage shows there is only one God, and he is for all the nations. He has provided salvation through his Son for the Jewish people as well as for all nations, because he loves us. But as Isaiah 1.3 says, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. He was quiet for a while, and then said, I must leave, but I will return and continue this conversation. I pray the Lord will cause this man to search the scriptures and question his beliefs. I trust I will have more open doors to witness to him about the God who shed his own blood for the sins of all people. Mike Kellogg with a dramatic reading from Sfi Kalisher's long-standing column in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. 
Although Svi is no longer on this earth, his life and testimony and the way God worked in and through him continues to be an inspiration to thousands. If you don't receive Israel My Glory, there's a cost for a subscription, but I have good news. If you've never subscribed, we'll give you a full year. That's six issues of Israel My Glory for free. Contact us at FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Again, that's FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. You can also fill out the form at FYRadio.org. Request your free subscription to Israel My Glory. Join us next week as Chris will challenge us once again to think differently about the book of Leviticus. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Our associate producer and engineer is Tom Gallion. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. 